Hello, and welcome to The Present Word. Today is one of our extra episodes, uh, and it's a pretty good one today. I think we'll have a really good time with it. Today's a what I'm calling the Havruta episode, so if you heard my conversation with Phil two or three weeks ago, then you might know what I'm talking about, but Havruta is just really uh, like study with friends, and today I've got a dear friend of mine from way back in college, uh, Rachel Muma. Uh, Rachel is a is starting her third year at Perkins in the MDiv program, uh, which is the program I graduated from, but you're doing the little bit longer path. Yeah, I'm doing right? four years. Yes. Uh, but Rachel has a Bachelor of Arts in Human Rights, a Bachelor of Science in Biology, both from SMU, the greatest school in the world. Uh, she's also a published author, so if you like fiction books and you like good fiction books, then I encourage you to go pick up Jericho, uh, wherever books are sold, including Barnes & Noble, which is very exciting. Uh, and fun fact about Rachel, she and I have sibling cats. Yeah. Uh, we, we have a mutual friend who fostered a litter of four kittens, and she ended up with two of them, and I ended up with one of them, and... It's just a joy to have you today, Rachel. <laughs> it's really good to be here. I'm excited. Yes, I'm excited also. Uh, so why don't we go ahead and we will just jump right in. Uh, we'll start. It's actually kind of similar to what I did with Phil in terms of structure. So we'll start with, uh, I want to know about the Rachel Muma approach <laughs> to scripture. So um, how do you approach scripture generally? Uh, would you consider yourself more like devotion or study focus is it more of a combination for you yeah go um definitely it's more of a combination i think i'm doing a lot better at starting to separate them now that i've been in seminary for a bit because when you're in seminary you're pretty much constantly in study mode with scripture especially because the past two years i've been doing you know old testament for a year then new testament for a year so it's sometimes hard to switch that off And what really doesn't help is uh, I grew up Baptist, so I grew up on kind of the more conservative theological spectrum. And I really never was introduced to the idea of scripture as devotion outside of study until I was much older in college. Um, Growing up, it was a lot of like, here is scripture, here is how you study it, and this study to come to this conclusion is devotion. So stepping outside of that took some reworking of my brain. And what really helped, I think, with that was Lectio Divina, which I got introduced to in college. We were both part of the Wesley House. Mm -hmm. That was where I first learned about it. And the idea that you could read scripture, the same piece of scripture, multiple times in different ways and get something different out of it each time was a new concept to me when that was first introduced. Because for years I've been told, like, this is what you learn out of scripture. And to go, no, this is, like, what God is trying to teach you right now through the scripture, and that can change, was radical to me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which is really weird to say that now, having, you know, been in doing Lectio Divina for a couple of years now. But it was a very new idea to me when I first started doing it. And so that's really when I started separating you know, devotion in scripture from the study of scripture. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, 
Would you say then that scripture is like fits more into your faith life now than it did before? Or is it like the same and just kind of fits differently? I think it's the latter. It fits differently. Okay. Um, I don't think it's necessarily taking up any more or less of my life. Well, it does take up a lot more just because it's also my like academic field of study. Sure. And so it has to. But in terms of, you know, my spiritual life, it definitely takes up the same amount. It's just that I'm approaching it a lot a lot more differently. That's bad English, but you know, very different, very differently from how I approached it, you know, in high school. Hmm. So before we started recording, uh, before I turned the microphones on and everything, we were talking a little bit about uh, why you came into seminary. Mm-hmm. You told me that it was uh, like a civil rights trip yeah. through parts of the Deep South that, and just just say say again what you said about that a little bit yeah um i'm trying to remember exactly what i said but yeah so it was part of the smu human rights degree or it used to be part of the degree was you went on what's called the civil rights pilgrimage which went to places like little rock arkansas where um little rock nine integrated the high school there and one of the places you go is uh, dr king's church in montgomery alabama um dexter memorial baptist church I think I'm miss saying that. Whoops. That's um, all right. <laughs> but it, it's a it's a wonderful church. If you're ever in the area, I highly recommend you go. And I was in the church, and at the church they actually have a lot of Dr. King stuff to this day. And one of the things they have is the podium that he used to give his famous "How long, not long" speech after the end of the Selma to Montgomery uh, voting rights march mm-hmm. in 1965. And it was the same podium that they used in the movie Selma, uh, which is a pretty good movie. And the tour guide for the church had me get up behind that podium and say part of the speech. And that's when the lightning hit, essentially. And I was like, oh, this is what I'm meant to be doing. Like, this is what faith and social justice and human rights all mean together for me. And so... After that, it became a process of talking to the professor of that class, talking to some of my other professors, and moving towards, okay, this means I'm going to seminary if I'm going to pursue faith and social justice. I don't think you have to go to seminary to do that. That was just the answer for me. Right. Yeah. So, given that, given that your, like, call towards seminary was faith and social justice, how do you think, uh, or how does... How does scripture fit into that for you? It definitely gives me the lens that I look at scripture through. Like the constant question I find myself asking whenever I look at scripture is who's got the power? And who in this situation, in whatever I'm looking at, has the power to change other people's lives for good or for bad? Mm. And are they doing that in a way that is honoring love God, love your neighbor? Or are they not? And through the answers to those questions is how I figure out, okay, what am I supposed to be learning from these passages based on that? Mm. So it's definitely not the only way to look at scripture. That's just how I often sure. approach it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, I like that we're getting some, some of your specifics about your approach to scripture. Cause I think that's yep. really important if we're going to talk about anything regarding scripture. I think one of the things that can often happen is we can, forget that different people approach scripture in different ways and come at 
these conversations from different directions. And so totally. Uh, and, and we can make the assumption that everybody is coming at scripture the same exact way. Yeah. And uh, that's not the case. And in fact, it's very rarely the case. And so mm-hmm. that's Definitely. why I always like to start a conversation like this off with that general stuff. Yeah. But getting more specific now, Rachel, you've been following along a little bit with this project. So you know that bit, we're yeah. doing the gospel of John uh, yep. in Lectio Divina style. So thanks for the plug earlier. You're uh, welcome. <laughs> but... So we'll we'll talk a little bit about we get a little specific on John now. Yeah. Um, we'll do the Gospel of John, the eyes of Rachel. <laughs> uh, so if you had to pick the three most important aspects of John, uh, what would you choose? And I and I will yeah. note before that you did tell me before the microphone started that John is not your favorite gospel. All apologies to my wonderful New Testament teacher, Jamie Clark Souls. John is not my favorite gospel. Um, so disappointing. I know. I'm so sad. Uh, I still love it, though. It's just not the gospel I will often pick as, like, my number one. Uh, that gotcha. happens to be Luke, in case anybody is curious. Um, uh, that being said, I do think John is an absolutely beautiful gospel. I will often turn to it when I'm looking for something a little more on the poetic side, um, because it does have a lot more of that. I, I can only describe it as poetic flow mm. to it that you don't get in the other Gospels. Uh, it is also very, very different from the other three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, in terms of what stories are included um, and the order of Jesus's ministry and when chronologically things happened. Um, the big One of the big stories I can think of is, you know, the one we're going to talk about today. And then also um, Jesus washing the disciples' feet doesn't appear in the synoptics. Right. That's another really good story that I like to turn to. Um, so that's probably one of the, when I think of John, one of the most important aspects I think of is how different it is mm. from the other uh, three gospels. Um, the other one I think about is the theme of water is really prevalent throughout the entire book. Um, whether it's, um, you know, chapter one, where you have that very poetic in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That's very reminiscent of Genesis in terms of, you know, the spirit hovering over the waters all the way to Jesus healing a blind man and he gets down and spits into the dirt to create mud Mm -hmm. and very much water interacting with earth, very grounded, which is really interesting for John because, and I don't disagree with this, a lot of people say in John, Jesus is at his most divine. I think that's another really important aspect. Jesus just kind of floats everywhere in John. He like never touches the ground. Um, He's just, nothing seems to affect him. Nothing seems to phase him. But then you have those moments where he spits into the dirt, where he gets down. We'll talk today with um, the woman caught in adultery that he gets down in the dirt and draws. And he's very grounded in a lot of these passages. So I don't necessarily think John is necessarily going this is Jesus at its most divine. I think John is going, okay, how is Jesus both divine and human at the same time where we're not compromising on his divinity, but we're also not compromising on his humanity. Hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. I think, I think John, it's often said, uh, John has the highest Christology. Oh yeah. Right. Which is easily big theology words for, uh, Jesus is the most godlike in John as compared to the other, three gospels but i i do think that you see uh uh some levels of humanity in john that oh yeah uh 
it's it's very different from like for instance mark where jesus is very human Mm -hmm. um but i think john still does a a pretty good job of grounding jesus in a lot of ways both literally and figuratively yeah definitely um so you've already uh you've already let the cat out of the bag sorry uh, with what (laughs) we're going to talk about when we when i first got in touch with rachel about uh wanting to have her on the podcast she I, I told her she was able to pick something if she had something specific about john she wanted to pick and she wrote back to me in text in all caps uh the woman caught in adultery aka uh what would you say the, the men caught in hypocrisy yes. which uh shout out to laura jean truman for that one on twitter go follow her she's great <laughs> um so we will go ahead and turn to that. So that passage, for anybody wondering, is John seven fifty three through eight eleven. And I'm gonna real quick, uh, just so we have a base on it, I'm gonna read it real quick yeah. uh, out of here. But if you want to do some lectio divina on this passage, uh, we actually went through this passage a couple weeks ago. Um, Two weeks ago, I think. I think so. Yeah. I think it was about two weeks ago, because now we're in 13, so that would make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so here we go. We're going we're gonna to do 7.53 through 8.11. Uh, and as usual, this is NRSV, and I'll just read it once this time. We don't need to do different postures and things like that, like we do in Lectio Divina. So here we go. Then each of them went home while Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. So that's John 7.53 through 8.11. So yeah, like I said, we uh, pre-chose this passage as a bit of a focus point. Why? Why did you want to speak about this? Why did you write to me in all caps (laughs) that you wanted to speak about this? Um... I think the main reason why is because this is my favorite passage in John. And I think the reason why it became my favorite passage is because when I was in high school, I went to a pretty conservative evangelical Christian high school. And there was one day where a missionary from Thailand came to speak in chapel. And he specifically worked with women and girls who had been caught up in the sex trafficking industry that's so prevalent in Thailand. And he preached on this passage in a way I'd never heard before, because before this, I'd really only heard that, oh, 
this is Jesus not condemning you for your sin, mm-hmm. period. And, you know, that didn't really jive with everything else that I was being taught about, like, you're a filthy sinner, you need to be re- saved, um, stuff like that. The way he talked about it was he, instead of centering Jesus and what the woman had done, he centered the woman as a person hmm. in the story of somebody who in this time had basically no power. Women did not have political power, social power at all. Um, he asked the question if she if she was a prostitute, she's not mentioned to be, um, she would have been sort of the lowest of the low in that society. And he was the first person who pointed out where is the man she was with in all of this? Where is he? They didn't, they only grabbed her. They didn't grab him. And he started asking questions like, was this a setup? Were they trying to make this happen so they could have something to test Jesus? Was she the victim in all of this? And it was questions like that that made me realize you can go so much farther outside of just the literal what's on the page. Like, it's okay to ask those questions of Mm. like, where, who's got the power in the situation and why is this occurring instead of just taking everything at face value, so, so to speak. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's one of the, I think, one of the cool ways to approach this passage. This is kind of a difficult passage. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's very it's very funny to me that it's your favorite passage <laughs> be- because of its difficulty. I think yeah. that's really cool. Um, so that, I mean, that kind of gets into your overall approach to Scripture, right? This idea yeah. of, of who has the power uh, in this moment mm-hmm. and... I guess I, I guess one of the things that I want to ask, like right coming right off of that, is what what does it mean to you to let go of the the interpretation that you were sort of handed of mm-hmm. like okay, what this passage is telling us is that Jesus forgives us of our sin, uh, yeah. and then like to let go of that and to take on this other interpretation of there's some interesting power dynamics going on here and there's there might be something more to this situation like what is that what does that tell you for like your life as as a christian as a person who's pursuing career in in social justice and human rights as a person who really cares about those things yeah uh like what does that mean to you i think it means a lot more in terms of re- of claiming my faith as my own actually because that's something that we often I'm also a youth director so that's something we often prioritize with our students is you have to claim your faith as your own it's no longer your parents faith mm-hmm. and I think the process of letting go of that teaching that I'd been taught and instead working towards new interpretations of scripture is a critical part of that that continues to this day 
and not just accepting the teachings I was, I was taught, but instead reaching out and finding more interpretations and more ways to look at scripture mm. to make my faith as my own versus just what it was for my parents. Hmm. That's really interesting. So it was, it's kind of like, this is kind of your, uh, your like liberation from that pretty much yeah that interpretation style passage that's interesting yep. ritual yeah um this is uh uh i wouldn't call it my favorite passage in this gospel but um it's one of the really interesting ones for me but it's interesting for a different reason i think i think the thing that's really striking to me about this passage is that it's really it it's very clearly one of the parts of john that gets added later very um, clearly yes yes so i'll so just to give an explainer here on what I mean by that, there are a lot of ways that we can sort of tell uh, in the Gospels what might have been, quote, original and what has kind of come down the line as people copied Gospels and added and subtracted to and from them. So uh, very baseline explanation on this because i don't think i've done this on this podcast yet mm -hmm. is when when we hold the new testament in our hands what we're actually holding is a conglomeration of a little over five thousand different manuscripts yes and i know you know this rachel yeah uh, this is for our dear listeners at home um, but a little over five thousand different manuscripts and those manuscripts can be anywhere from tiny scraps of paper with just a few words on them to uh, entire books that are called it's, it's called a codex or codices um, they're entire books where people have written down the entire New Testament uh, by hand and that's the key about these manuscripts is that they're all handwritten they're mm -hmm. not printed things this is way before the printing press oh yeah uh, and so what happens when you handwrite something if you've ever uh, taken notes or tried to copy down what somebody was saying or something like that uh you make mistakes yes or what can also happen and what certainly happened in the new testament and in the gospels is that as as a scribe was copying uh usually from a speaker at the front who was reading a copy of the gospel as the scribe was copying they might have added something here or there they might have like made a note in the margin like oh this is weird or they yeah. might have added a clarification note or something like that and that yeah. that's a lot of times what gets added but something else that we see is as different communities receive the gospel mm -hmm. and and by that i don't mean like the good news of jesus christ i mean a physical gospel yeah. that gets read to them they add pieces to it mm -hmm. and this is a piece that seems to be added by a community that receives John kind of down the line a little bit. Yeah. And the way we can tell that, uh, one, if you read it in context with the rest of the gospel, its writing style is very different yes. from the rest of John. And then two, it is not in some of our earliest manuscripts of John. Yes. Uh, but something that I, I hadn't really looked at that you actually brought up to me when we were planning this is that it kind of floats around. Yeah. So it uh, right here, it's um, right after sort of the end of chapter 7. It's the very end and then the start of 8. But in other manuscripts, it appears after John 7.36, 
um, or John 21.5. And then in even more manuscripts, it actually appears in Luke. So Luke, it'll appear after Luke 21.38 or Luke 24.53. And to me, in some ways, that Luke actually makes a little more sense <laughs> because if you read it in context with John, like you said, it's very awkward sounding, but you put it in the context of Luke and it fits a little better. I wouldn't say it's definitely Lucan, but it fits a little better, mm-hmm. um, which might be why it's my favorite passage in John because my it favorite sounds go- like Luke. it sounds like Luke, which yeah. is my favorite gospel. Um, so I think that's really an interesting part of the New Testament as a whole is this problem's not the right word, but this question of, of manuscripts and yeah. conundrum. Conundrum is a great word. Yeah. Thank you, Rachel. Uh, and I, I kind of want to hear from you because um, you can read this passage as if it was, is, you know, it's just part of this gospel yeah, and it's just in there, but does it impact at all how you read a passage if you if if we have this idea that maybe it was added later yeah i think it's important context to have when you read a passage and i think it can help you sort of place it in terms of asking the question why was this added later and i think the answer to that can be a study in itself and can teach you something within itself Um, One of the things that's really interesting to me about this passage is right before it is when you have one of the instances of the temple police or uh, the law trying to arrest Jesus and failing. So when it gets plugged in here, it seems like a second attempt at that. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you take it out briefly, then you have a much better flow of Jesus having that interaction with the law and then turning to his disciples and the people following him and giving them another teaching kind of based on what just happened with the interaction. So I think if it it fits, like it definitely sort of makes sense in terms of the context, but you do have sort of a rougher transition from 811 to 812 because of it. But you have still kind of a smooth transition out of chapter seven into chapter eight, which is really interesting. I I don't know where I'm necessarily going with that. I just think it's interesting that that happens. so I think it doesn't necessarily change my opinion on whether or not it is a worthwhile addition to scripture. Mm-hmm. I think it is. I think there was a reason that a community decided to put it in the chapter, uh, into John, and obviously whichever community decided that thought it was important. And then even more importantly, as that began to circulate, other communities found it important and a good addition to the book of John. And I think because of that, it, sh- it it is worthwhile for us to still study and consider, even if it wasn't necessarily like an original edition, hmm. air quotes being put put around that. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what do you think about that as, as somebody who has uh, written a book? Yeah. What is it, what do you think about the idea of, I guess, like, communities adding to these pieces yeah well for one thing we briefly talked about this before we turned on the mics we're not entirely sure john was written by one person right if you read john at least to to my eye it seems less of like a coherent narrative as say luke 
but instead feels like shorter stories put together in an anthology. And that's something we have today where people will submit shorter stories to a larger like person, to an editor, to a publishing company, and they'll get put together into one book. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily a cohesive narrative, but there is like there's a through line through it that brings it a little bit of cohesion that makes it not necessarily one narrative, but one story, if that makes sense. So I like to look at John through that lens, and in which case it's a little bit easier to sort of explain this later edition. But we have, so that's one example kind of modern that we have today. It's very different though than in Bible times because we uh, give attribution to everybody who who contributes to an anthology. Uh, This was all attributed to John. And we actually see other examples of that in the Bible if you subscribe to the uh, Pauline and Deuteropauline canon theories, where not all of the letters in, and this is what we talk about at our seminary, is we don't think all of the letters were written by Paul exactly. We think some of them were written by Paul's followers later and then attributed to Paul due to thematic differences, differences in language, references to events that probably would not have happened while while Paul was still alive. So that could very much be happening here as well. Mm -hmm. And it was a pretty common practice during this time. And so I don't think that necessarily takes away from like the authenticity of scriptures or needing it to be from a single original author that it's attributed to. I think there's still a lot of beauty and importance to this scripture that comes uh, even if it came from an outside source. Hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things that I really like about the community theory about John's writing, mm-hmm. about about the authorship of John as being in community, sort of this anthology idea, Yeah, um, is that it really gives a sense of the gospel is not a private thing. Yeah. It's not like a single person's telling of it. It's mm-hmm. it's really like a communal a communal treatise is not the right word, but a, like like a communal telling of what Jesus has done. Yeah, for uh, that community. For that community, which I think is really cool. And I guess you can correct me here if I'm wrong about this, but I feel like it is a little bit like writing a novel now. In, in the modern context where yeah. you have, I mean, you wrote the, you wrote the story and yeah. the story came out of your head. So that's yes. different, but, uh, you have editors yeah. and you have groups of people that, that read the book in early stages and mm-hmm. gave feedback on how the story was being told yeah. and these sorts of things. And I'm, and I don't know how much, you know, I'm sure it's much less impactful than yeah. when we're talking about anthologies or something like that. But I still think that when we tell stories, that the the stories that we tell are told in community. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like you said, when I was writing Jericho, I had a ton of fingers in that pie, essentially. Yeah. Um, And there was one of my really early editors. um, He had a lot of influence on the story itself. Additions, taking stuff away. But as the story, as we progress more in the manuscript development, those additions and subtractions became less and less and instead it kind of became more of my voice edited to a certain extent to make it flow better and to make it sound better but 
there wasn't like a big ch- big chunks being added or big chunks being taken right. away once I got past the development stage. So if we want to, you know, relate it to this, um, we can just say that this passage was edited in more of like the development stage of the gospel, mm. especially if it was more communally developed rather than just one person sitting down writing his account. Um, one of the ideas that I also like, and I don't know how much scholarly backing there is to this, is that, you know, maybe John did write the first, you know, trend and like manuscript of right. it essentially the first draft and then he read it out loud to his community and the community goes but wait you forgot about this you told us about this but mm. wait you you should add this in this is really important this is like my favorite story and so through that the story gets developed and then later on down the road the final edition is complete and people are still complaining about how you did not include this one story or this one scene mm. and so that it gets added yeah uh, yeah i think that's there is some scholarly backing to that. I think yeah. uh, there are there are theories that uh, John has some eyewitness material in it, and mm-hmm. then uh, gets added with community material down the line. I talked I talked a little bit about that in the study episode. So if yeah. any listeners want to hear about that, you can go back and listen <laughs> to that uh, from a few weeks ago. So we're getting close on time uh so i want to ask if you have any just like last thoughts about this passage specifically and then we'll do some closing remarks where you can plug stuff if you want uh so yeah so one thing i really wanted to talk about funnily enough is the end of the passage where after all this has occurred jesus has uh drawn in the dirt told um the leaders you know let he who is without sin cast the first stone um nobody remains and everybody leaves except for jesus and this woman and the last thing he says to her at least that we have is neither neither do i condemn you go on your way and from now on do not sin again other uh, interpretations of scripture interpret this as go forth and like do not live in sin anymore and that interpretation to me is very interesting because not only does it give the connotation of like do not go and commit the sin of adultery no more it also gives the connotation that this is a situation in which she has been trapped in and this is sort of a life life that she is in maybe against her will and this could definitely be from the interpretation that i heard from that missionary back in high school where the idea is not necessarily like you don't you don't go don't go and commit that anymore it's you have been freed from the situation that has put you to committing this sin mm-hmm. and so it is less of a i forgive you from your sin and more i am liberating you from that sin and it's a very nuance there's a lot of nuance there it's not necessarily that different but it is a, in my opinion a more holistic look at sin and how we come to certain sins and less of a like your individual sin has been forgiven but more you have been brought into this new liberation where that sin doesn't have to be part of your life Mm. anymore Hmm. i mean i think that does that actually fits really really well and and maybe even better with uh, yeah i'll use the word better it fits better with i think the way that John in general talks about salvation. Yes, definitely. Where salvation is not just this uh like 
you have been forgiven of personal sins. Mm-hmm. You've been you've been forgiven of personal sins, and now you are at this very moment ready for whatever comes after death. Yeah. Right. Where John is really focused a lot on salvation as living into an abundant life here on earth. Yes. And an eternal life <laughs> starts now. It yeah. doesn't start when you breathe your last breath and then you go on to the the next thing and this is just sort of like a like a heavenly waiting yeah. room that if you act up in you don't get to go to the back to God's office kind of thing. Yeah, salvation as a present reality versus a future reality right right and i think it has it has both connotations in john definitely Um, they're both there but i think that when you talk about this as and that's a really beautiful way to talk about this passage is like jesus is not is not forgiving jesus Mm -hmm. is liberating jesus is is freeing yes Um, and yeah man i i love that rachel i think that's really cool i think uh I, i think that's one of my favorite ways to talk about salvation when i first started greek the first verb you learn anytime uh, <laughs> you start greek no matter what kind of greek you're learning is uh luo which is uh to loose so like to loosen something and it's your it's the first one because it's the one that actually obeys all the rules and everything but yeah. it uh it is a a beautiful verb for talking about I think what Jesus is doing here, right? Jesus is not just, he's not like, okay, well, like, you know, you really messed up, but that's all right. I'm going to let it off this time. I'm going to let you slide. No. Jesus is, is loosening a bond that is on this woman. Yeah. And I think that's a, a really cool way to think about our own salvation. Yes. Is that Jesus is, when we live into this abundant life, we are freed by freed from something. Yeah. Freed from something that I think is holding us back. And I think, excuse me, I think when we look at our own lives, I think we can see where we are held back by things. Yeah. And the ways that the gospel calls us to be freed from those things. Yeah. And it doesn't just stop with you, which I think is another really important point to this passage is like, you are freed. And then part of your salvation is to go and help others get free. Mm. where if it's just you who's now loosened from these bonds, great. But salvation is a present reality, not just for you, for everybody else. Yeah. So go get everybody else free at the same time. Yeah. And yeah. And not only will you getting yourself on top of that, not only you getting yourself free from those bonds, affects you it also affects everybody else in your community if you're free Mm. our salvation does not occur in a echo chamber or like a in little box like it includes absolutely everybody that you come into contact with. right and if it doesn't you need to start thinking about your salvation Mm. and what it actually means to you because again salvation is a present reality it is not something in the future we are looking forward forward to and it's a communal reality. Yes. Right, which I, I think, you know, it goes back to what we were just talking about with John being written in community. In community, yeah. And storytelling being a communal thing, I think I think uh, salvation is as well. Definitely. Uh, very yeah. cool. I really liked I, I really liked what you said. Uh, you know, now that you've been freed, it's time for you to go and get other people free. Exactly. That's really yeah. cool. Uh, 
man, Rachel, thank you so much for sitting here and talking with me. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Uh, yeah, what what a cool thing to, that I am getting to do right now. Um, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Yeah. Rachel, I, I will let you hear if you want to go ahead and plug anything you want to plug, especially your book. Yes, <laughs> my book. Uh, my book is not necessarily theologically based, but if you like some dystopian gritty dystopian thrillers um that have a little bit of discussion about community and the importance of not only your sort of responsibility to your family but also your responsibility to everybody else uh check out jericho it is available wherever books are sold and if you want to get my sometimes ramblings about theology or me just screaming into the void uh i'm on twitter at rachel m296 and i'm on instagram at rmuma.author Yes, uh, definitely go give her a follow. Very cool person. Uh, and for sure, pick up Jericho. I've read it already, and I consider myself a bit of a connoisseur of, uh, it's not sci-fi, but like dystopian yeah. fiction and these sorts of things. And I thought it was really good. So You're also uh, slightly biased because you're my friend. <laughs> well, you know what? I know how to look best biases. True. Uh, so <laughs> Maybe. That's sometimes. So with that, uh, thanks everybody for listening, for joining us for this conversation. I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day, however much is left of it. And uh, I'll go ahead and encourage you here. If you have any thoughts about the podcast, uh, whether you want to yell at me or Rachel or want to tell us we did a great job or anything like that, uh, you can email those to me uh, at presentwordpodcast at gmail.com. Or if you want to join in the conversation, uh, have some internet chats with myself uh, or just keep up with updates on the podcast you can like and follow us on facebook facebook.com slash the present word and so with that uh, thanks again rachel and we will see you guys on monday for another lectio divina meditation we'll be deeper into uh, the book of glory we'll actually be starting john 14 now we're oh getting boy. we're getting down to the last few moments of jesus's life but don't worry they span like five chapters yeah seriously so there's it's so long left <laughs> uh thanks everybody for listening we'll see you monday bye everyone